morning, everyone. Junior Church, you are dismissed to walk. Um, we just want to make sure all of the adults know and everything, um, just for safety security, after the kids are in the building over there, it will be locked. Um, it's just precautions. There's nothing. I'm just reminding all of you that for their safety, they're going to be locked in so they can't come bug you. Um, but if you need them, you're supposed to ring the doorbell or knock to get someone's attention so they can come get you or find Dustin in the front row and he can take you over there. So before we get into the service today, we have a, a very special thing that we want to show you. Um, there's a video going to be shown from Cassidy. And um, this, we're talking, she was in the accident 22 days, 22 days ago. And um, so it was really really life-threatening at the time, 20-some days ago, I don't know, a while ago. And um, so she wanted to share a message with you. Hi, everybody. I have so much good news for you. I got my tube out, so I'm officially tube-free of everything. And I can kind of move my arm a little bit. <laughs> I can't dance yet, but I can move my wrist. So, it's progress. I stood up today for the first time to sit on an actual toilet. So, it's been such a good day. I just want all of you to know. So, thank you for keeping up. So, <laughs> milestones are happening and she's giving credit. She, when I get to go see her, she's always talking about how God has done this, how God has been blessing and moving and, and healing and um, even the, the amputation that they were planning, they were planning to think through was incredibly minor to what actually happened. And she said, she told me this, you don't have an accident like that and only walk away with a little nub of a pinky missing. Um, and so God is just amazing. And um what's going on there. We need to celebrate that. So we wanted to share that with you. Uh, before we get into the rest of the sermon, I want to take you back a little bit to where we were last week. Peter and John were on their way to the temple. They were um, walking through those huge brass gates. They stopped and healed a crippled man. This didn't happen somewhere in a quiet corner. Okay, <clears throat> This was incredibly public. There would have been somewhere around 2 million people attending the the feast of the Passover in Jerusalem at this time. Uh, most people would be coming in and out of the temple during this time. There would be huge crowds going in and out of the service, going through these same gates. These were like the front gates of it. There would be, and I want you to understand, this really would have been there. They would have had souvenir salesmen there, uh, food vendors of all kinds, people selling whatever you would need for the animals or for the feasts. There would be people selling animals for sacrifices, um, even exchange booths for the currencies of your foreign um, country's currency into the common currency that was allowed there. There would have been several people looking for handouts, the blind, the deaf, everyone else that you could possibly imagine. This was not just a few people on a tiny street. This was a huge parade of people with vendors, booths, and thousands of people going through. So what I'm saying is Peter didn't have to work to get a crowd. 
He didn't have to do something to draw attention to get people to listen to his message. There were already lots and lots of people there. Um, it says that after this happened, the healing, more people came. So I want you to think of this. There's a large crowd that witnessed it, and then even more people came to hear and to see what had happened. In Acts 2.42, a large crowd came, and remember, this is what God promised in Acts 2.47. Um, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. God brought the growth. That's what we talked about when we hit that chapter. When the people, when the church start living as Scripture says, they start living out their faith, God brings the growth. Peter and John are actually doing that. They're taking their faith. They're going out into the public. That They are being the church out in public, sharing the message of Jesus, what he can do in and through them. And God brought more people to hear the message. He didn't just provide an atmosphere of a few people on that street. He provided a huge atmosphere and then brought more people. In Peter's first sermon, his message was followed, or his message followed the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So there's this miraculous event that caused all these people to come running, and then Peter preached his first sermon. Uh, they got to hear all these people speaking in different languages, and they're saying, hey, they're speaking in our language, they're native people. They're, they're from Galileans, and they're speaking Egyptian or whatever those languages were. They could hear them, and God spoke through Peter and gave him the first sermon. Peter's first sermon followed a miraculous event, and now we come to Peter's second recorded sermon. Again, it followed a miraculous event that caused people to come running to hear this message. So we're in Acts chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12. Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. First of all, right there, I love. Peter saw his opportunity. Keep that in mind as we go on. He saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the God of all of our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. And then verse 16, through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. I love this section, he went from this miraculous thing, and then the first few verses or words, Peter saw his opportunity. He noticed people. He he wasn't planning this. He saw the guy. Well, I don't have any money, but I'll give you something. I'll give you what I do have, which is Jesus. And then the people start coming, and Peter's like, "Now I see why this happened." He saw his opportunity. Which I think brings us to the first message that the first church did that we need to continue doing. We need to be watching for opportunities. We need to have our mindset looking for opportunities so that we can talk about our faith. Peter could have just ignored the crowd. He, he could have said, okay, hey, hey, come back at another time. He, he could have said, whoa, back off. Let me go write the sermon and then I'll come back. 
but he didn't. Too many times Christians today are, we are given opportunities to share the message of Christ with others, and we choose to ignore that opportunity. We believe the lie that I don't have to say anything to share my faith. I just need to live my life. And yet every time in Scripture it says, go and tell, talk, speak. We, we think that somebody else can do it. I'm just here to show a little bit, and then they can hear from someone else. I, I, I follow in this, or fall into this same trap. From high school to now, I'll see something, and I'm like, oh, I should say something, but I, man, that's going to cause a 30-minute interaction, and then there's going to be controversy, and i got to back it up, and I just want to go home. And I have to fight that when I see an opportunity. Peter saw the opportunity and took it. Peter says he got, uh, look what Peter says. He gets very abrasive here. This is one of the reasons why I like Peter. He starts, you people of Israel, you people of Israel, remember your lineage. Remember you're the chosen ones. Remember you're the ones who know all about God. You are the ones who have the prophecy. You people of Israel, you people of the God of Abraham, he's bringing it down, of Isaac, of Jacob. Remember all of our ancestors. Why? If you know all these things, are you surprised? God is doing what he's always done to get your attention. Peter says, what, what is this so amazement in you? You should know this. Why are you so surprised? And second, why are you looking at me? Why are you surprised? And why aren't you looking at why are you looking at me? Basically, he's saying, this God that you came to worship in the temple just showed up and you're surprised. This God that you're supposed to know everything about, that you've been teaching your children about, that you've been taught about for generations, is right here and you're surprised. Why are you so surprised? Why are you looking at me? I, Peter's really just a dumb fisherman. And here he is. Why are you looking at us? And this is where he gets abrasive even more. Um, you came to worship God, not us. Not only did you ignore the promised Messiah, but you delivered him to Pilate. You delivered him, and he came to deliver you. Pilate, the governor from Rome, who you think is one of the worst, he's a heathen. He acted better than you did. Because he said, I find no fault in him. And you chose a known guilty murder over Jesus. You, children of Abraham. You, the people of God's promise. You acted worse than a Roman. That's abrasive. They came running to see something cool and they got slapped in the face. Not only did you side with our enemies, but you chose that murderer. And while this sounds abrasive, it is incredibly vital to the first church's message, and it still needs to be part of our message today because it is biblical truth. I've noticed that during the stay-at-home orders, people seem to follow whatever sounds good or whatever they seem to like. Uh, and and I'm, not, I'm not trying to kick people in this because I'm involved in this, okay? So listen, how can a state that has low numbers of cases have to stay shut down? I'm not talking about Indiana. I'm talking about this weird 
um, state that might be a little north of us. Okay? I'm not going to say its name, but it looks like a mitten. Um, how can they, their numbers are going down and they're getting more and more restrictions. And the people in the state there are fighting and arguing. And they're, oh my goodness, what, what's going on? It's divisive. That's what's happening in all these other states. It's happened here. It's happening in Ohio. It's happening in all these states. And we got to quit being divisive. It's not about what you think or what you think sounds right. Why can some religious services in those states have more services while Christians can't? Yeah, I, I, this could get flagged because of this. But could it be the shell game? I, I just, I loved playing the shell game. And what I mean by the shell game, you got three cups, and you put a ping pong ball under one of them, and then you mix them all around, and then I bet my brother, I mean, I bet somebody that they can't find it. And then what happens? They pick one, and if it's the right one, I pay them the money. But if it's not, they give me the money. And what is the shell game about? You mix it around, and you slide that ball off the table so it falls into your pocket so that they are always wrong. That's the purpose of the shell game. It is. If you watch closely, they're doing it, and they slide that ball right off or whatever it is, so you cannot win. It's to distract you while they do this. And those who are good at it will always win this. Now, I, I want you to hear me on this. I am not saying the virus has distracted us. I'm not saying politics have distracted us. The virus, politics are not the enemy. What has distracted us is Satan. He is the enemy, okay? The enemy has used politics. To divide us. The enemy has used a virus to divide us. The enemy is the one who has caused fear to divide us. Satan, our enemy, is doing this because he hates you. Not because we hate you. Not because Christians hate you. Satan hates you. And he wants to distract us and divide us and then dominate us. That's what is happening here. So what do we do? What are we doing all this? Because we are divided. We need to know this. We are a divided country. We are divided culture. We are divided churches. We just are. Because we don't know what to do with this. And it's because we keep looking at the tactics of the enemy instead of the enemy. What we do is we need to go back to the first church and do what they did. What did Peter do when confronted with a bunch of people looking at him? He quickly got the attention off of himself, and he said, don't look at me. Look at Jesus. As followers of Christ, we've got to realize that when great things happen, that video we just saw, that's a great thing that happened, but it is not Cassidy. It is God who is causing it, and she even knows it. Every time I've talked to her, she's saying it's God doing this. It isn't through your power. It isn't through mine. It's not through your knowledge or mine. It's not through your experience. It is God. And when the church starts living this message and sharing it, even though it's abrasive, then we can start seeing the transformational power of the message. God is working miracles all the time. But I think too many times we are distracted to even notice it. And when we do notice it, 
We don't give God the glory that he deserves, the honor and the praise. Too often it's about us. Look what I've achieved. Look what we can do instead of giving credit to God. We've got to look at all these life-changing events that are happening to us and point to the actual one who has that power. The church's message is to change the focus from ourself to God. I got told once when I was younger, um, man, I love when you sing specials up there. I love when you're singing. People can hear you, and it's so great. And, and I was like, darn Putin. Yeah, I'm good. I don't know if you've ever noticed, I, I don't sing specials anymore. Do you know why? Because I got too much attention on me. That's why. I, I love to sing. I think it's so fun. If you drive by and I'm mowing the yard and I have headphones on, you can probably hear me over the mower. But it can't be about me. It's got to be about Jesus. And if I'm getting in the way, then I'll shut up. I won't sing out. I won't sing up front. I'm not going to have that. Because it needs to get off of me. Like Peter said, get it off. Why looking at me? It's Jesus. That's part of the first church's message, to get the focus off of us and back to Jesus. Look what else. Verse 14. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of all of our ancestors, who brought glory to his, meaning Jesus' servant, Jesus, by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over, whom you rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses to this fact. And notice there's an exclamation. He is shouting this. He is emphatic about it. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus. Look at that. Just repeat it. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Right here, Peter points a finger of judgment. He points a finger of judgment at the people. And until people realize that they personally need a salvation, how can they accept Jesus? Yes, the Holy Spirit of God convicts them, but he uses the truth, which means he needs people to speak truth. Look what Peter points to them. You handed him over to be killed. You rejected the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life. You know what? None of them were holding the hammer. None of them held the whip. But he is associating you, your sins, your actions. You killed the author of life. You see and know that he was healed. You can't deny this. You can all see you're experiencing this. They are guilty. He just threw the gavel down, guilty. How many of you like it when you are proved that you are guilty? Especially when you don't want to be. You know, I, I saw a video of this little kid. The mom comes in with her cell phone and said, who, who ate the Cheetos? His fingers are fluorescent orange. His lips are fluorescent orange. I don't know. Are you sure you don't know? Maybe the cat. We don't want to be guilty, even though the evidence is right there on our fingertips. They are guilty. Peter's making sure of it. The message of the early church and what we need to do is change the focus from our self-righteousness to guilt. 
You are not as good as you think you are, O people of Israel, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You who know all these things are evil. Don't we do this? Don't we try to prove how good we are at things? We try to impress everyone on these things. I have heard people say, you know, in all our years of marriage, my spouse and I have never argued. <laughs> you know what? You must not live together. Because that ain't true. I've heard people say that they have never been tempted to lie. You were tempted. You just did it. I mean, come on. We need to realize we sin. I mean, honestly, too many times when we come to churches, when Christians show up to church, we're trying to show how good we are. I even wore a tie today. That's how good I am. Blue jeans, so I'm only half good. We try to show how good we are. Why are we looking at our self-righteousness instead of looking at what we're really guilty of? Really think of this. Do you realize that it is your sins that held Jesus to the cross? When you read through this passage, instead of him putting the pronoun you, what if we put the name, your name there? What if it was Donnie handed Jesus to be killed? Donnie rejected the holy and righteous one. Donnie killed the author of life. Donnie knew what was right. I could see it. But I still did it. And that's what Peter's doing. Get it off of how good you think you are and actually look at the truth. We've got to quit trying to be self-righteous. We need to look at our guilt. Then we can go to the next section, verse 17. Friends, he just called them guilty. He's abrasive. Now he's applying, uh, relating to them. Friends, I realize that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance. That God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that he, Jesus, must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so your sins may be wiped away. First thing I notice here, Peter acknowledges you're acting in ignorance. You should have known better, but you didn't. The people should have, but they were ignorant. And when we're talking to people about their sins, and I fall guilty of this so many times, don't go in with guns blazing. Guilty, 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 guilty. Sinner, going to hell. Change it. Oh, that was love. That was great. Instead, Peter goes in saying, you are guilty. But I'm going to give you some mercy. Going with mercy, let them know, you know, not only have you sinned, but, man, I'm a sinner. Go in and show them. Let them know that they have sinned, but, you know, sin starts with ignorance. We should know better, but we choose to do the sin. That's ignorance. When we continually do the sin after we've known better, that's when it's different. But he said they didn't fully realize what they were sinning against. Peter gave them a message of mercy. But he tied it in with a message uh, of a warning. The warning was repent, change your directions. Know that you have sinned. Yeah, it was probably done out of ignorance at first, but don't stay there. Don't stay in that direction. Repent. Turn around and repent. That's a big churchy word. And we say it a lot and we don't explain it. It's change your direction. Quit going in that evil, wrong 
guilty direction. Don't keep sinning. In verse 19, Peter warns them to repent and turn to God. And because you have sinned, because you are the reason Jesus was on the cross, because you have sinned, you need Jesus. The same Jesus that healed this cripple, the same Jesus who brought him back to leaping, you need him even more so that you can be healed spiritually. And now that you know that, change your direction, change your mindset. Do you know every time Jesus met with somebody who was struggling and sinned, he gave them mercy, he gave them love, and then he said, stop sinning. In some phrase, he would say, stop doing that, go and sin no more. Turn your direction. Jesus never expected people to continue sinning. He expected them to change and follow direction. Jesus never accepted people and accepted their sinful ways. Now, let me explain that. He accepted the people. He accepted they were sinful, but he didn't accept it and say, well, you know, that makes you feel good. You can still come. Well, you know, I know that's controversial, but just follow me and you'll feel good. He accepted the people, but he expected their sinful lives to change, to repent. He offered mercy, but he offered a message, a warning, the message to repent. And as the church, we have got to do the same thing. The message of the church is that people need to change their focal point from the separation from God to a relationship with God. We've got to do that. And you cannot have a, a relationship with God if you're holding on to sin. Here's the best analogy I read. I wasn't going to share it, but now I'm going to. So there's a couple. They've been married for long years, but one of them is being unfaithful. Can they ever have a good, established, loving marriage? Not as long as they're including this other person. They can't. You have to let go of that one. Repent, let go, and come back. You have to. We know this. And you know what? Our belief, our faith in Jesus is just like a marriage. He keeps talking about it. And we've got to forsake holding on to adultery to other sins and come back to God. That's what it is. We have to acknowledge it. If you are holding on to a sinful lifestyle and trying to hold on to God, you can't. So it's causing a lot of division even in our own hearts. Verse 19 and 20 are the key of everything we believe. People must repent, trust in the saving power of Jesus Christ. Because if they're not sinful, why do they need him? I mean, really, why did he come to die if it doesn't matter? Jesus is the one that refreshes us. He is the one that will come back for us. He is the one we will spend eternity with. Now go to verse 20. After you repent, then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, the appointed Messiah. Just stop for a moment. Through all this stuff that had happened last year, people kept saying, I just want some peace. Tired of this chaos. Tired of this division. I'm tired of all this upheaval. I just want a time of refreshment. You know what, if we would start doing this first message, this first living as a church, then the refreshment will come from not knowing you're okay. Not from your job, but it'll come from 
being in the presence of the Lord. Being in the presence of the Lord will give you that refreshment. Again, we can't be in his presence if we are holding on to something else. Go on, verse 21. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, anyone who will not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. Notice there's a message of mercy, but also one of repent, of a warning. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets, and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning each of you back from your sinful ways. Peter finishes this sermon with the purpose of why Jesus came to the earth. He came to die for them, to conquer death, to guide them away from those sinful ways and get back to God. The message of the church was clear. God created us. We chose sin, which leads us to death, and Jesus came to save us from the consequences of those sin, which is eternal death or hell. But we must choose to let go, to repent of that, and turn back to Him. To start living our life with God, focusing on Him and not ourselves. We, we must remember God never wanted the church to exist for the sake of existing. I, I've heard some people say, man, I just want to get back to church the way it was. I don't. I don't. And that shocks some of you. I don't want to get back to the way the church was back in 2018, 2019. Do you know why? Because we were blind. We were just talking about it with the elders, and Dustin and I have had lots of conversations on this. You know what the coronavirus did? It exposed weaknesses that the church had. And we might have been ignorant of some of them. And I don't want to go back to ignorance. I don't. I want to... Take where we are now and go forward. I don't want to go back. I, I've had people say, man, wouldn't you want to go back to high school? No. No. You know how dumb we were then? I don't want to go live that again. i sure I looked better, but uh, thank you for not laughing at that one. We, I don't want to go back. I want to move forward into what God has wanted. I don't want to have God say, why did you keep the church the same? Really? I mean, answer that. Do you want to keep the church the same? Never growing, never changing, never moving, never reaching more people? It's not about what we want or what we think. It's about Jesus. It's in his name this man was healed. It's in his name that we are saved. It is in his name that power and glory can move on the earth. And he's choosing to do it through the church. And I don't want to be the one guilty of keeping the church sitting. So we need to get back to the message that the first church had. When we make it about anything or anyone else, we are hurting the message of Christ. We must stop talking about ourselves. 
talking about how great we think we were or are. We must stop talking about one another. Well, did you see what they did? We've got to stop doing that. We've got to stop talking about what we want. I'll tell you right now, I don't want to wear ties all the time. I don't want to wake up and lose an hour of sleep on daylight sleepings. I don't. It's not about what I want. We must stop doing all that and start talking about the one. The one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ. We need to make sure that we are talking. We need to be talking with mercy. You have to be. But also, while holding on to mercy, pointing at sin. Because without pointing to the sin, there's no need for mercy, and there's no need for salvation, and no need for Jesus. We have to make sure we're talking with mercy, but pointing out that sin is wrong, and that we need to repent. So I, I have a question. How good are you at sharing the message of the church? Really answer that. If somebody were to come up to you and say, what does the church believe? What is the message of the church? How many of us could really, well, here's what it is. And I'm going to tell you, the reason why so many people can't answer that is because people who have stood up here preaching the gospel, preaching the message, have not taught you right, including me. We have failed in teaching and educating you on how to go out there and do the church. That's our fault. A lot of our fault. The other part is, a lot of us in the rooms don't want to. It's so much nicer when we have comfy chairs and we can sit here and say, I'm good. Well, the world's going to hell. Peter could have walked by that crippled man. Peter could have walked by and just kept on living. But he stopped his day. He stopped to make sure that what he had... What he had was Jesus, not money, not experience, not anything else. He had Jesus. He stopped his day to make sure this man knew about the one. And because of that, the church exploded in more growth. Because one person said, I will give you what I have. And then he saw the opportunity and said, guess what? I'm going to tell all y'all what I have. I lived in Kentucky for a while. I'm going to tell all y'all what I have. That's one person doing it in this sermon. Imagine if we stood. Imagine if we stood and saw the opportunity and said, let me tell you about the one I know. Let me tell you about the one that saved me. Let me tell you about the one who brought healing. Let me tell you about the one who brought restoration. And then the video like Cassidy, we would see thousands of those messages going out. And we'd see a tidal wave of the church being the church. I know you can do it. I know you can. I've seen so many of you talking about it. And when you are talking about it, I'm going to tell you right now, I am so excited to be a part of this church. I love being a part of this church. I hear that. I see it. I feel it. And I get energized. And I want to keep doing this some more. So what if it's not just me saying it? What if it's also you saying it, that you're proud of it? that you're excited for them, that they are doing it, and you want to come alongside them. What's that going to do to you? You can talk. What would that do to you if somebody said, I am so proud of how you're living your faith? 
shake your head. What would you do? Seriously. You would cry because they saw it. She's emotional. What would you do? Some, huh? You would praise God. Give you more excitement. What would you do? Part of the reason why you're, you're scared because you're not doing it. You are doing it. You are doing it. But we can do it more. If Peter can do it, an uneducated fisherman, a guy who had no training, he didn't have a good preacher like you have. <laughs> so let me tell you, I know you can do it. And I'm telling you from now on, I am going to tell you when I see you doing it. Are you ready for it? Because 21, 2021 is going to regret what has happened to us in the past. Because we are going to bring victory in his name. Let's stand. Let's go to God and worship and thank him. And if you need to talk or pray with one of us, please let us know. We'll meet you in the back and we'll go over what God is, what he has done, and what he wants to do with each of our lives.